We said, actually, when he was less in the office, the company would grow more because he was more the visionary. He almost disrupt things too much. And so if we can make the visionary feel comfortable with the day-to-day, they can actually do more growth by not being there because the, the machine will run better uh, with less uh, adjustments. Welcome to Seek, Go, Create. This is your host, Tim Winders. This is where we redefine success in leadership, business, and ministry, sharing topics, stories, and conversations that just allow us to rethink how we live, work, and lead. Great conversation today. I'm excited to have Josh Fonger. He's a consultant, coach, and speaker who's recognized as a leading authority in business, performance, architecture, and he helps business owners, I love these words, simplify systemize, and generate powerful growth. He's building thriving businesses, families, and communities. Josh, welcome to Seek, Go, Create. Hey, glad to be here, Tim. Glad that you're here too. And I'm excited that we get to have this conversation. I'm a systems guy. I mentioned it right before we hit record. I'm, a, I'm an industrial, my degree is industrial and systems engineering. And I feel like we're going to have some discussion about some systems here, but before we dive into all of that, let's just say we bump into each other at church or on a plane somewhere, and I ask you, we don't know each other, and I ask you what you do. What do you tell people when they ask you what you do? Yeah, I'd say I'm a Christian business consultant, and they usually say, what does that mean? And then I say, I help small business owners I break free from the day-to-day chaos by getting control of their business systems. All right. So there's one thing that's really interesting you added there that I think I saw it in one of the things I read about you. You you put in front of all that you do the Christian, the term Christian. And I'm curious, do you do that all the time? This is not like a condemning question either, by the way. I'm not, this is not judgy. So to just take that off the table. Do you do that all the time? Or is it some of the time? Do you just have a nudge? Or when do you, And because I, I think you've got it on LinkedIn also, but how and when do you add that term Christian? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's been, my wife asked me this question. She says, you've been doing this business consulting, trying to emulate, display, glorify God in everything you do. But how often do people actually know that's what you're trying to do? And I realized, and I've been on a lot of podcasts, and I try to share something about my relationship with God during these episodes. And a lot of times the question doesn't come. They'll ask me about a checklist or a procedure or how to make something more efficient. And I just came to the conclusion that if I don't put it right in the beginning, it might not come up. And I guess people like you permission to ask me questions. And for about half my clients and most people I talk to on podcasts, they aren't that interested. That's not something they're curious about. And so they don't ask me about it, but that's been a, a very recent shift in that I'm going to actually not be ashamed of who I am, who God made me. I need to put it out there and give people an opportunity to respond. Yeah. The reason I like it and the reason I asked the question is I've gone back and forth on that mm-hmm. myself. I think if I go to my website now and go to some of the bios and all of them written, I've added something like, and I hope this isn't wishy-washy, I've, I sought the Lord for this. I've added something like faith-driven executive coach or something. I added it because 
one of the things that I desire, because I want people to ask me questions mm -hmm. and I also want to be able to lead with it. And I sometimes, I'll, I'll give you a good example. A while back, I was trying to decide what to put on some social media channels. And I'm sure you've gone through similar things. What is my title? What do I put there? Family, family man, father, now I'm a grandfather, all that kind of stuff. And I, it was when I was trying to identify what my roles were. And I remember going to Tim Tebow's, I think mm -hmm. it was his Instagram page. And what was fascinating is as his, I guess his role there, he just had athlete. But yet we all know where Tim Tebow stands with his faith. And I've always just, uh, I've been intrigued by that. And it's not a, I don't think there's right or wrong answers, but I do want to say, and I, and we're going to go ahead and layer it in here. We're going to talk a lot about systems, but see, I believe that part of what we're doing here is we're creating order out of chaos. And I think that is the entire biblical story. And so what we're doing is a practical application of a bigger biblical narrative. And so I applaud you for putting Christian there. And we're going to, we probably will bring it up again before we're done here. So thanks for answering that. Now, one other thing too, kind of a logistics thing, you've just moved to my old home state. You're up in the, the I think the mountains of North Georgia. And, and that sounds like it's a recent move for you. Just curious what brought you to Georgia, because I don't get around there much. In fact, I just visited and I needed to get away from the humidity. I won't go into details there, but I just left there. Yeah. We spent most of our life in Arizona and Oregon. And then through a long story that I'll cut short, we end up in Kauai and we were in Kauai for a year and realized that. It was time to settle down, time to settle down with the kids. We've got four kids. And after praying about it, we ended up in Chattanooga and in, in that area and looking for houses. We looked in the Chattanooga area, we liked it there. And the epicenter of our search became wider and wider. And then eventually we had a list of things that we were praying about in terms of where we wanted to live. And this little town called Ellijay, just on the Appalachian Mountains, right? The, the south tip of it kept up, kept coming up. And then a house popped up and we were like, this is the one. It essentially, we saw it and 30 days later we moved in. And it was a confirmation of a prayer that we had made for a long time, but I verbalized it to my parents who are not believers uh, about 45 days before. And I said, for our 20 year anniversary, I want to celebrate with my wife in, in a new house and uh, don't think that's going to happen. There's all these reasons why it's not going to happen. Like logically, no chance really. That's our prayer. I told my parents, they're like, oh, that sounds nice. Well, and then 40 days later, we were there right before our anniversary. So it, it was, we just know we're supposed to be here. We don't know why yet. We've only been here a few months, but we love it. It's great. Kids love it. And we're happy to see what God has for us next. Congratulations. That's a beautiful part of the world. My wife and I've been traveling now for almost 10 years. And one of the most beautiful spots in the world, there's a lot of them, by the way, but the world is a beautiful place, but the, the portion in North Georgia there, when, especially the time of year, we're recording this in late August, the last day of August, probably people can start checking this out in September, this episode, but that fall time of year, you're about to see some beautiful things. If you were in Chattanooga area, you saw some of it. And the cool thing is, I think this kind of leads into the type work you do and all that. You, you mentioned you homeschooled your children, which is cool. We did that with our children. They're grown now. 
but your work is also not geographic specific. So tell me more about the type work you do. And I think that's going to lead into some of our systems conversations and some of the deeper things that a lot of people might be tuning into here. Yeah, definitely. You've got the book. I'll put it up here real quick. The book, Work the System, which I didn't write. Sam Carpenter wrote it, is really the, the type of consulting and coaching I do, a method consulting. And the book is all about how to you know, organize chaos. And it's written from a very personal story, Sam Carpenter's story from working 100-hour work weeks down to two-hour work weeks and growing his income up 20 times. And how did he do that? He mechanically details how he set structure in his business and made it happen. And so for me, as people read the book, hear about the book, listen to a podcast, they're intrigued and they contact us through some method. And then I do uh, coaching or consulting or I fly out there and help them and help organize their business. And I know this is a kind of a faith-based show. So sometimes it is churches or church choirs or Christian organizations that, that want to build this structure in. And that's what I do. I help them make that a reality. And, and I read in the back uh, of the book, there's actually a section where you give a number of examples, case studies, I guess, I think it's titled. And one of the things I was wanting to do was get a feel for the type client or person that you work with. And let me just say, I didn't really see a specific industry or anything like that. This stuff crosses systems type <laughs> implementation crosses all industries and organizations, correct? Uh, yeah, it does. And unfortunately, that makes my life way more complicated <laughs> because it'd be nice if it was like, hey, this is just for restaurants or this is just for hair salons, whatever it is. But we've had them all over 300 industries, over a thousand clients. It, it touches, I guess, probably the best way to explain it is we work with leaders or business owners or organizational leaders who they have maxed out on their time, they've maxed out on the resources, they've maxed out on their money, and they realize they just can't, they can't grow. They can't go beyond where they are because everything's in their head and the stress has reached a critical point and they know if they're going to expand other location or expand the organization or pass it down, they've got to get what's in their head and in their team's head into some kind of format, some kind of structure so that they can grow from there. They can scale from there. And so we, we get clients when they've, they've hit that trigger point. Maybe their key operations manager left. Maybe they're one of their key employees is pregnant and is going to be leaving the company. They're like, now what do we do? Or sometimes it's, rougher situations where it's a family business and there's a divorce or there's a death in the family or something like that. And they say, you know what? We can't just pretend like the organization is going to keep going in this trajectory when we haven't actually written down how we do what we do. And that's when we work with companies. And it's usually smaller companies, but sometimes the larger companies, they had the same problem. They just wanted it's less about getting the initial structure. It's more about fine-tuning the structure, measuring the structure, and managing with the structure that they're looking for. I'm curious with large organizations, I've found a sweet spot that I like to work with. And the way I define it, a little bit similar. I've gotten to where I will only work with the leader or the head of the organization. I'm not going to jump down and work with teams or departments or things like that because 
often there's just too much resistance from other places and you don't have the control type mm -hmm. situation. That's me. And I also like it when there's some degree of a leadership team in place. Doesn't have to be well-defined, doesn't have to be super mature or advanced, but there needs to be something else there. And sometimes it would be a couple or something like that. But, and then I found that there's a size and, and I haven't really pinpointed it that I don't really want to get beyond that because there are too many things that are entrenched and making change is going to, it's going to be met with just a lot of resistance. Maybe we might be dancing or working around with similar type people. Does that sound correct too? Yeah, it does. But I, for me, if somebody wants the help, I, I don't say, I don't say no. So I've got boundaries in how I'm going to help them, but I'm not going to, if someone comes to me and they're like, I've had some pre-revenue startups and I want to work with you, get our systems in order. Have you ever made a sale? No. Okay. We're going to, the way I'm going to implement this is going to be different because we're going to be taking more iterations, more experimentations. The systems we build are very on the back of a napkin as we build out this business and other companies complete opposite they have boards of directors and committees and it's super complicated and it's difficult to get traction but if they're bought into this philosophy and they're asking for help i'm going to be there to, to help them in whatever that capacity is going to be and yeah i prefer to work with the owners and the ceos if possible but sometimes they say you know what i'm too busy work with the operations manager and a lot of what i do is operational improvement so uh, I've had a lot of success with sometimes not always working with the visionary, but sometimes working with the person who's actually going to implement the, the structure and hold the teams accountable to that structure. So that brings up a great question. I'm glad you brought that. You can have the visionary, you could have the implementer. The implementer in all likelihood is the person that is going to get extremely excited about systems. M my wife <laughs> is wired for systems. In fact, not too long before I clicked record here, before I jumped on the call, I was going through the book and I saw some of the items that would be the um, processes, procedures, strategies that are included at, in the back of the book in the appendix. And I said, you know, my comment was, sweetheart, you would love this checklist and everything like that. She's got her, she's a scrum leader and she's an agile project manager person. And she, she really loves lists, checklists, systematizing things. And, and so the implementer would love this. However, this is what I want to, this is, a, that was a long-winded way to get into the question. Oftentimes visionaries, who it's usually a different person, sometimes it could be the same person. Oftentimes a different person, the visionary loves, let's just say they've got that entrepreneur feel. They love the energy of new stuff. They love the lack of boundaries and structure and things like that. And I, I will often joke that entrepreneurs are people that really have attention deficit disorder, and they're just really always looking for the next thing to go after. So talk about the tension, and this is going to lead into the mindset of systems. So I'm not asking that yet, but talk about the tension, I guess, between someone who really loves the checklist and all like my wife and then someone who even though I'm a systems person I love a little bit of the art the flow the new stuff maybe even a little bit of messy so how challenging is that when we're looking at this kind of stuff it's extremely challenging and once I start working with a client I try to read who they are 
right? So oftentimes the smaller companies, the, they are more of the technician. They, they, they actually like doing the work. And their issue is, I'll let them know, is there is no visionary. There is nobody who's actually expanding the business. There's no one who's actually looking out two to five years. And so I need to get them out of the day-to-day by systemizing and delegating what they do so they can't be more of a visionary, right? In the case of companies that are larger and they have a visionary, I'm less inclined to push them into the day-to-day structure. I'm more inclined to say, I need you as a visionary to set the vision clearly in writing. But beyond that, I need you to just agree with this vision and you can stay out of the day-to-day. The more you're gone, and Sam Carpenter writes this in his book, and he and I talk all the time, he said, actually, when he was less in the office, the company would grow more because he was more the visionary. He almost disrupt things too much. And so if we can make the visionary feel comfortable with the day-to-day, they can actually do more growth by not being there because the, the machine will run better uh, with less uh, adjustments. And so I do try to let people know that. And then ultimately, the way we push this methodology is we let them know that innovation needs to always be happening. But once you have a structure or you have a, a recipe for how each thing is done, you can actually add those innovations to the recipe and, and run tests, run A-B tests, just run a parallel system just to see which one works better. And instead of just following your gut, which maybe works okay with a very small company, you, you actually will have some real data and you'll be able to look back and see how you did it and then make adjustments from there. Hey there, this is your host, Tim Winders, and I want to pause this interview for a minute and ask you a question. Are you feeling stuck? Maybe it's in your business, maybe it's in your leadership style, or maybe you just can't put your finger on it. Trust me, I've been there. I'm a faith-driven executive coach, and I can help you get unstuck. How? Well, I bring to the table not just over 30 years of experience, but also a unique blend of skills like strategic thinking, relationship building, and a dash of marketing wizardry. And if you are here, you know I'm not afraid to ask the tough questions. Don't believe I can help you grow? Just ask my clients that tripled their annual gross revenues in two years after coaching with me. Or the clients that increased revenue 67% in just a year. So if you're ready to take the next step in your leadership journey, book a free discovery call with me at timwinders.com forward slash coaching. That's timwinders.com forward slash coaching, T-I-M-W-I-N-D-E-R-S dot com forward slash coaching. Take a look at that page, scroll to the bottom, and you could book a time right on my calendar. Let's unlock your potential together. I look forward to speaking with you. Now, let's get back to Seek Go Create. So is it, this is something I ask myself, and there may not be an answer for this, but I'm asked just your thoughts or opinions or your the data that you've gotten just from all the people that you've worked with. Is it easier to get a visionary to begin moving towards a system thinking type systems mindset? Or is it easier to take someone who is more that technician, practical, they've got a lot of the the systems thinking to get them to think big picture. You mentioned it in that response. You talked about some that you work with, but have you noticed one or the other that is a, a little bit an easier an easier path to go down? 
Yes. Uh, yeah, I would say just from my experience that the ones who are very much the day-to-day and the day-to-day how things work structure, once they are free from the stress of having to carry all of those tasks on their shoulder, those burdens, they tend to open up and have more visions than they realized and more possibilities. They just never given themselves a chance to dream and think because they're so worried about the, the next client, the next phone call, the next delivery, that once they, they have that stress removed, they become more visionary than they ever have been. And so that, that is a much easier route to go. With the ones who are already, they're ingrained in being visionaries, I just want them to agree with the philosophy. I want them to support and lead the philosophy. I want them to be a cheerleader and encourage the philosophy. But I'm not asking them to now really uh, work on the structure because I know that it hasn't worked very well in the past. And so if I could just get them to not screw up the structure that's being built and stay out of the way, that tends to be the best with implementations. So listen, here's what we really need you to do. We need you to just get out of the way. And telling a leader or a founder or someone in an organization that probably needs to be done much more delicately than I just did it. I think you did it in a better way there. But in reality, though, that is the case. And in, and they probably know that, but actually doing it. I mean, that's one of the things I work with is just changing the thinking and the thought process of a lot of leadership and leadership teams, which leads me into this term that's in the book. And I think it's something that's very important to what you do. And it's systems mindset or systems thinking. I'm, uh, I think it's, correct me if I got the term wrong, but talk a little bit about that, why it's a bit of a, a challenge, why some people do it well and some people are moving into it and why it's important for all of us that are leading, running, operating organizations. Yeah. And so Sam Carpenter coined the term and he's written a book, The Systems Mindset, which goes into it even further. The book Work the System is really the business application of the systems mindset. And so Sam really describes it as an average person is just going to walk in the street and they're going to respond to the sights, sounds, events, things that are actually happening. They're going to respond to them. The systems mindset would say, elevate yourself above what's happening and look down and see the, how things translate through time. And then examine and take apart the systems that produce the results that you're getting. And so if you're getting certain results in your health, your relationships, your business, instead of focusing on and reacting to those results, instead examine the separate systems and isolate them that produce those results. And so it's about seeing that there was a logical progression of steps that led you to where you are. And if you instead worked on those systems, you would be at a different result. And so a lot of what we do is help isolate those separate systems, work on them, and then let the results take care of themselves. Hmm. And so one of the things when I was reading through the book and reading the early sections of it, I kept thinking about, I, I kept looking at myself personally when I was looking at it, truthfully. I wasn't really thinking organizational. I was thinking personal. And I was thinking about how I am at times maniacal about habit creation, about forming habits. And then I can be a little bit overly habit forming, but very similar to what you're saying, we have systems that are all around us. We're, we're part of them, 
And uh, I guess maybe my question related to this is how do we recognize, and maybe this is big picture, not just organizationally right now. So however you want to respond is fine. How do we recognize the systems that are working well for us and the ones that might be inhibiting success? And then my follow-up question is going to be some related to success and defining that. We'll go down that path in just a second, but how do we know what's working for us and what's working against us? Uh, yeah, the broad question. And I think that maybe this is your second question, but I think without knowing what the bullseye is, you don't know. You don't know whether it's working for you or not. Right? You could step on the scale in the morning and say, I don't know, 190 pounds. I don't know. Is that working for you or not? <laughs> is that the goal or is that not the goal? If you're five foot two, maybe that's not the goal, right? If you're six foot six, maybe that is the goal. And I think that you do need to actually set a standard. And that is a big part of the initial structure that we do want the visionary involved with is actually saying, hey, what does success look like? What is the path of success? What does it look like? We help owners with a one-page document called a strategic objective. And so if you have that, then at least are your systems getting you there or are they not getting you there? And this can be for your personal life and you can divide up your personal life in terms of your, your, maybe your health or your finances or your family. And then you would say, oh gosh, is the way we're educating our kids or the way we're eating or the way we're, whatever we're doing, isn't it, is it taking us to this, this goal? And I think without that, then it's very frustrating to work on your systems because you don't even know, are, are they helping us get there or not? Because it's undefined. So I think that, that having some definitions they can be working definitions, right? You can adjust them, but at least starting with the definition is going to ultimately improve your systems. That's good. So one of our foundational, I guess our tagline here is the term redefining success. And a lot of what we've done here at Seek Go Create is we've interacted with people that have gone through catalytic events that have caused change, or they've made some kind of decision to identify what success means to them. And then go down that path or that process. And so I, I'm curious, when people come to you and say, we need to do something differently, would you say it is from a place of pain often, or is it a, a, a continuous improvement, to use an engineering term? Or, and, and it could be a spectrum, I'm sure it's a lot of it. The, the reason why is that I, I've come to to these theories of in all these interviews and all this that I've done, that there are two ways that people make change. One is they make a decision, they go through the process, they bring people in like you, they put systems in place and they make changes. Or they go through some catalytic event, some health challenge, something happens to a family member or a head of their team or something like that, that basically hits them in the head and they say, you know what? I need to make a change. You don't have to mention any names or anything, but how do people come to you in that spectrum? Does that make sense? Did I ask that well? <laughs> yeah. Usually it's the Catholic event. And theory's like, holding up. <laughs> not always. Yeah, yeah. I would say when it's business owners, they it's almost always a Catholic event. When it's CEOs, then it's more like we developed in our plan that this would be part of it to have a culture of continuous improvement and therefore it's Q3 and we're going to do, so that's that wing, but most of the time it's an event. 
and it's pain. And probably three or four clients I work with, someone died in their business. And then what do you know? I get called a week later. They might've been on our email list for seven years. Wait, now we need to work with you. They always knew they needed to work on this. They always wanted to work on this, but then it became very real because, hey, no one knows how, what that person did. They're grieving the person who, who passed away, but we have no idea how they did what they did. And we're having some major issues immediately. We can't keep running our business like that. Yeah. And I, I hate that because I'm well aware of some, I'll call them proactive adjustments, changes that I needed to make in some companies, businesses we had, but yet it was a catalytic event that really forced a great deal of change. The lifestyle we lead now being travelers, we probably never would have done it. We love it. We enjoy it. It's very nourishing to our soul. And we believe it's the path God has us on right now. And we're not exactly sure why, like you mentioned, you're not sure why God has you in the place you're at, but we think we're being prepared for something, but we don't believe we would have done that had we not been through that catalytic type situation. I'm just curious, Josh, I want us to get into some very specifics for the leader that's listening in and may want to begin the process or start thinking about systems and systems mindset. Maybe you've got some tips or some ways they can get started and then how they can connect with you, of course. But I'm curious how you got into being a systems expert. And I, I love the term architect because I think I saw, was your undergrad? Were you an architect person? So tell me a little bit about your journey and be prepared. I'm going to ask you about a situation where you've had to redefine some success in your life. So how did you end up being the business systems architect? Yeah. God's providence. Yeah, no, I, I, it definitely was not by choice. So I, I got a degree in architecture, then a master's in business, and I thought I was going to be in real estate. But then 2006 and seven happened, and I could not find work anywhere. And basically, I, and during my MBA program, I wrote a paper about why you should not hire a business consultant. So I didn't think there was a lot of value in being a business consultant. I thought they were a waste of money and kind of preyed on clients. And my Due to some family businesses that I heard growing up, they were anti-business consultant. I'll put it that way. And, but that was the only job I could get was a business consultant. Eventually that's what I had to do. And during that time period, I think it's kind of God's humor to put me in that position. And I just really enjoyed the work, had a lot of success with the work and was flying around the country, helping small business owners. In this case, they were flooring stores, carpet ones and flooring Americas, different state all the time helping them with their inside sales and outside sales and their forecasting and their culture and their budget and helping them through bankruptcy and you name it, just working with these companies, inside sales, outside sales. And then I would, I would realized that six months or a year later, when I was talking to them, following up, the same problems that I thought I solved were coming back again. And I thought, I thought we already fixed that. And it kept happening to me. And I was in uh, Bend, Oregon. We, we lived there and I met somebody, long story short, they passed the book, Work the System to me. Maybe this will help you. And I read the book, met with Sam Carpenter. And then I, I came to realize that the piece that I was missing in all of my work is that I wasn't documenting the, the systems and the structure that I was changing the company. It was, it was more training, it was more working with the management, it was more working with the leader. But then things dissolve over time, dilute, they don't stick. And I realized that I actually wanted my change to stick and then be built upon, it had to actually be documented into the systems. And so 
And that was a piece I started using my consulting. And then Sam Carpenter and I became good friends. And then I just started working uh, with him as a consultant. And then here I am today. Bend, Oregon, cool spot. That was one of the places we spent about three months or so in our travels. And Oregon's a, a neat place. So a few things with that. I don't know why, but when you mentioned that you proclaimed to the world your distaste for consultants and probably coaches or anybody else that kind of takes money from organizations, I thought about the story of Joseph in the Bible and him just boldly proclaiming to, to his brothers, I had a dream and y'all all bowed to me. A, a little bit different story, but it's often that sometimes those bold statements we make, they will come back to humble us. I don't know. Is that the right term? Yeah, definitely. That was the most humbling period of my life, at least financially and professionally, because you get your MBA, you're making good money, supporting your family. We were in Phoenix at the time. And then to lose it all, to have the most debt you ever had, lose your house, lose your car, lose everything, and be living in your in-law's condo. And you're like, huh, this didn't exactly work out the way I thought it would after I got my MBA. Like you just want <laughs> to start over. And at that point, you, you realize that your identity, really, if you're a Christian, is in Christ, and that that is the foundation of which you want to build everything off of anyways. And so regardless of what happens to you professionally, what really matters, you can't lose. And I think that was the necessary shift I needed before making the new career change. The way I've said it before for me is that I am very confident that God did not bring the downturn or the whatever they call it now from 2008 just to get my attention. But when it occurred, he took full advantage of it to get my attention. It sounds like that period was a real redefining of success, what it means to you. You had some things that were mapped out for you. What'd you learn about yourself then? Give us a thing or two that, because I'm sure you have reflected on it. I can guarantee you've reflected on it. I have, countless others have too. What did you learn about yourself during that time? I haven't reflected on that much, at least you, not recently, or it's the 2023. But <laughs> what I reflected on was that the things that, that matter, it can't be taken from you. So that kind of gave me some resilience there. And also that God can use all things, that he's sovereign. So I got to learn more about God's sovereignty and his provision. Money came from places that were not expected and support came from places that weren't expected. And so it gave me more confidence in the fact that God will provide and that I don't have to be afraid of the material because he knows what we need before we even know we need it. And also just that, that starting the day with prayer is going to be more important than working hard. There's plenty of people who are in my position in the real estate industry who just thought they could work themselves back into a job that wasn't there. And the, the job I ended up getting was based on a connection that I made the week after I got laid off. It just took about nine months to materialize. So really, if I could have made that one phone call and done no effort towards finding a job and it was waited nine months, that would have been the same result, right? So all of that toil, all of that stress, all of that need to find a job, need to provide for my family was stress that I was putting on myself because of my lack of understanding of the future. And so I was just thankful that I had friends around me who prayed for me, encouraged me to not be stressed and not think that I'm going to take charge of control my future. Because really, I could have spent that one phone call and waited nine months and been in the exact same spot. 
the fascinating thing for me was how I kept projecting these timing things. I had a bill to pay, house port, house payment or something. And so I would tell God, I've got to have blank by whatever. And that date would come and go. And my realization was maybe his time frames are different than mine. And I'm not in any way saying don't pay your bills or anything. That's not what I'm saying. I'm actually saying that I think that his time frames are different than ours. And so I that was something that was just so interesting to me. But the thing that you said earlier, see, this is what jumped at me during that, when you were talking about that. You did say that you were living in, I think, in-laws or relatives condo. And I think we initially make statements like that as if they were a negative. And I'm wondering if God considers that a positive. You are actually living in homes that you're not paying for. You're being taken care of. There's an extra home there that someone has, I guess, a condo or something like that. And I wonder if we have some type of, at times, I know I did, pride or something like that makes those things not as appealing. The reason I bring it up, you may not be aware of this, but when we first moved into our, what we call nomad stage, which some people would call it homeless, but we called it nomad because it just sounded better, more like Sarah and Abraham or something like that. I don't know, but it sounds more biblical, doesn't it? <laughs> is that, Josh, is what the fascinating thing was, we started house sitting. So we were living in houses that we did not pay for. We did not have mortgage payments on. They were stocked with food and, and, and I enjoy a glass of wine every once in a while and some wine cellar. And sometimes they would hand us keys to the car when we were in Australia, New Zealand. It was just like, hmm, maybe I need to rethink what success means. So that kind of helped me redefine it. Now, my guess is there was a humility that, that probably if it didn't creep in, it barged in to Josh, to your soul. And it probably helps you with what you do now. Would that be accurate? Yeah, definitely. I think that's essential. And that humility is more, I guess, more relevant now after going through and being a consultant during COVID is just the realization, no matter what strategy, advice, plan that you're coming up with, you don't know the future. And, and it made me really realize that when I'm working with clients, they're giving me 1%, like a small sliver of what's really going on in their organization during our sessions. And so in order for me to actually accurately assess their situation, provide guidance and help them along their way, I'm going to need to have wisdom beyond myself. I'm going to need to have the ability to encourage them when they need it, tell them to go the other way when they need to hear it. And so I think that just through COVID and through that, realizing that if I'm going to really be useful and successful, it, it can't be on my own strength and knowledge and, and wisdom. It's going to need to come from somewhere else. And so that's really what it's prompted me to pray more and or read less books, pray more and listen to less podcasts, <laughs> even if there's great ones, is that I, my early, my career when I was in my twenties, I thought if I just read enough books, listen to podcasts, study enough, I would be able to help these companies. And to some degree that, that knowledge is, is helpful, right? But ultimately the kind of the key to my success ultimately is not going to be in those books. It's going to be and am I communing with God? Am I praying for my clients? And am I giving them the question or the answer, the direction that they actually need to hear today in this moment? 
And that's something that I knew that was beyond me. And so I think that that really helped. That really helped to have some of those things happen and realize. I used to, little, one more aside, I used to do a lot of projections, a lot of forecasts. People wanted me to analyze their finances and project forward. And they were always so confident in the numbers I was producing. I said, your chance of hitting any of these numbers is basically zero. We took <laughs> we took the last couple of years and we put a few algorithms in this net. All of these are conjecture. And so we can't just pretend like this is going to happen. Like we have some goals now, but I've done enough of these to know that it never happens like that. And so, I don't know. I think that's helped me be more real in the day-to-day with the clients I work with as opposed to think that, that I know of the future. I know. I'm, I think I'm getting to an age, a place, I don't know if that's the right term, to piggyback on what you just said, where I'm getting less confident in the future. And I used to be very, (laughs) I used to be very confident when I would say things about, especially the near future, do this, this happens, this happens. And I do think there's some degree of that. I'm not discounting that at all, but I'm getting more confident in eternity. And I think I used to be more confident in the near future than I actually was in eternity. And I was saved. I'm Christian. I'm not saying anything, but I think my control, my, the way I was wired, I really wanted to be able to know what was going to be happening in the very near or not too distant future. And what you just said really affirmed that. So that was good. What are some of the, let's shift a little bit here in the time we've got, because we've got people listening in and I'd love for us to give maybe some practical things. And I, and I know getting the book is helpful because there's a lot of good stuff in here, but let's just say that someone has been somewhat convinced that they need more systems in their family, in their church, in their company, or in in their life, whatever. What are just some maybe big picture tips to get started? And we know that people can work with you, but just give us some things that people need to begin if they've made, if they're leaning that way. I think if I wanted to actually work, I would say start with the simplest symptom you can think of and one that is happening every day. And one example I like to share is with with a church I was working with that, and they had over a thousand volunteers at this particular church they could use. And at the time I was working with the head of the marketing department and we were talking about the systems in his department. And meanwhile, he was putting grommets in a vinyl sign. One of these events that was coming up and grommets are those little metal circles that you put in vinyl signs to make sure they don't tear. And he looked very busy. And I said, are you the only one at this church who can do that? And he's like, well, you know, I do it a certain way and there's, I'm not sure if anyone else will do it right. And the event's tomorrow and you gotta get it done. And I said, don't you guys have a thousand volunteers? He was like, yeah. I said, so we pull out his phone hit record. I said, now teach everyone how to put a grandma in a vinyl sign. Cause I'm sure that my 14 year old son can do this. And so then he talked and narrated how he did it. And I said, okay, now never do that again. Give that to someone who doesn't cost the church any money. And so the whole point is that if you just start with the, the, the work you're currently doing, you can document in this case, it was a video, audio, screen capture type of a checklist, handwritten note. There are ways to document what you're doing now. And when you do that, you're going to realize that you now have a standard for what good looks like. And you have the ability to transfer the knowledge to someone else for them to do it 
for you and for them to innovate and do what you do even better and faster and try not to set some big lofty strategy like you're going to change your organization and document for procedures the next month because I've seen those fail enough times to not even recommend that. I'd rather have them start with something that they are already doing and realize, is there a better way? And oftentimes for leaders, that better way is them not doing it at all, right? Because they have to be freed up to expand their organization. And so I always try to first start with leaders or in this case, parents, if you talk about family things, but what are things you're doing every day or every week that actually someone else could do if they just knew how to do it? And let's see if we can get those systems in place and then work towards giving the leaders more time to grow and giving the people beneath them more ability to help. One of the things, and I, my family, if any of them were here, they would either laugh or nod or grimace if they heard me say this. One of the things I would always say was if there's something that we do more than once, we need to consider systematizing it, offloading it, delegating it or something like that. This was within our family too, by the way, which we had our, we had our own businesses and things like that. But th the question I was going to ask is why do people, this gets back a little bit back to the mindset, but in the practical thing too, it keeps people from making that leap. Why was, we'll call him Joe Leader, doing those grommets? I mean, listen. I don't know a lot about putting grommets in things, but I do not think it requires an advanced degree to put grommets in. Why do people do that? Why is it, I mean, especially with a thousand volunteers, and we know the way church world works, or even employee world, is that people have a desire to be a part of what's going on. So what's the psychology behind why Joe Leader wouldn't let someone else do that until the consultant told him he needed to. Yeah, there's a couple triggers that happen. One is they are used to doing it, they're comfortable doing it. They've done it a lot of times before. And so I think that part of it is just a comfort level of, I've always done it before. And so change would be something different. And that's hard. That's just human nature. The next thing is perfectionism, as in they know the perfect way and if they've learned that if they give it to someone else, they're going to do it imperfectly uh, because they haven't taught them, trained them, or systemized it. They just handed it off and the results haven't been very good. The next reason is that there's the tyranny of the urgent where because leaders are not thinking weeks and months ahead, they're thinking what needs to be done tomorrow for this event. They haven't utilized the resources that they have. And therefore, of course, they've got to do it. There's no volunteers here. I got to do it. It's tomorrow. And so I think that that consistent culture of just reacting to today doesn't allow them to utilize the resources that they, they have. And so they're not thinking broad enough about it. And then also leadership has told them to do the work. And so they do it as opposed to leadership saying, we want you to develop a system to get this work done more effectively. Doesn't mean you have to do it, but we do need the result. And so they haven't really thought about it differently. So they do need a systems mindset and they do, do need a leader that will encourage them along that path. So there's a, there's a lot of variables, but I, I do see that my, my straight A students, the valedictorians usually have the hardest time with the delegation because they just, they like to see the work perfect and have their name on it. So those are the ones that tend to be, have a hard time with delegation. I love the thought of that perfectionism. I see that 
also. I see it more in others. And I also think when you have a spiritual, either a leader who has a spiritual uh, foundation or in a spiritual organization, we'll call it some type of, that there's also this sacrificial component that comes in. If people, people believe, and I'm going to exaggerate a little bit with this statement, I'm doing this for God. God's going to love me more because I am, I hate to pick on the grommet guy, I'm putting these grommets in. And so this is positioning me for the afterlife better. Again, a lot of highly exaggerative statements there. Sometimes the spiritual can help, and then sometimes it can, it can be damaging there. Let's keep going, though. Did you want to respond to that? At I, yeah. Well, I, so, yeah, the nonprofits I work with and the churches I worked with, that is a, a very real thing and burnout's a very real thing. And they overwork way beyond what they need to. And, but yet they complain about it and the results are not great because they are overworked and they don't understand that, that they're bearing too much of the burden themselves. So that, that's extremely common. And I haven't, Maybe you've thought about it more than I have, but it's just for-profit businesses. It's five o'clock, they're gone. They're not like, I'll stay late to serve the kingdom. No, they're, they're checking out. <laughs> so it's very different. All right. So I'll call it Joe Leader that was doing the grommets. He comes to the realization that this needs to be done. And maybe in the time, we've got another time for a tip or two. So they are beginning moving in that direction and they're starting with those simple small, something to get some systems in place. What are some of the next steps? What are some of the hurdles or something? Just give us something practical here as we begin to wrap up that might be helpful for someone listening in and they've been listening to our conversation. Instead of going big picture, I always ask people to get granular. What are all the things that you do throughout the entire day? And this can be from the second you wake up to the second you go to bed and isolate those, and it's very tedious and not fun, but time track them, and you're going to realize that your day is made up of these discrete, separate packets of stuff that you're doing, hopefully productive, hopefully useful. And the goal is to, number one, eliminate the ones that are not useful, not serving you, not taking you where you want to go. Usually that frees up some time. And the next goal is going to be taking the separate system, in this case, putting grommets in a sign, and realizing, hey, if I document a system, someone else could do it. I'm going to work on that system to make it so I can hand that off to someone else. And so if they work on those two things, that's going to give them a lot of time back. And then lastly, it's the systems that you're already doing every single day that you have to do. And it's, well, can you do it better? Can you do it faster? Working with this series of hearing aid centers and they do this hearing assessment that they have all their New patients come in, do a hearing assessment, takes 90 minutes. I just challenged them. I said, can it be done faster? Can it be done better? Can it be done at a higher quality? Can it be done at a higher close rate? Can it be done at a higher average transaction? And lo and behold, that can actually be done in 45 minutes, not an hour and a half. If they just took the time, and they're doing these things every single day in nine locations, to analyze the system and document it and script it out, they can actually get better and faster but they were just so used to doing it the same way because they've been doing it that way for 10 years. And so I think that first thing is make a list of all the things you do during the day, as tedious as that might be. And you're going to realize that once you look at the separate pieces that make up your life, there's better ways to do them. There's faster ways to do them. There's shorter ways, lower cost ways to use technology automation. And that's the fun stuff for me is being able to look at 
uh, what people do and say, I know there's a better way. I know there's a faster way. I know there's a more impactful way. And oftentimes they don't believe me at first because they say, hey, I've been doing this a long time. But there almost always is. One question I was going to ask, do you do time studies at all? One of the things I, I used to do this more often, now I don't do it as much, is I'll ask executive leader, someone to block out and determine what they're doing every 15 or 30 minutes or something like that. One of our challenges now, though, is that we have these things that are consuming so much and people think they've got no time and all of that. But do, do you do some time studies at all just to see? Because sometimes people fool themselves in what they think they're doing and what they're really doing. People definitely do that. Yeah. So we do track time and we do analyze that. One thing that my wife turned me on to and then a client as well is having a, a light phone. So hence, I don't think I've checked the news in over two years or social media. You mentioned something that might be on my LinkedIn profile. I wouldn't know. I haven't been there. And it's been part of my concerted effort to get back as much of my mental space as possible so that I can truly be effective and efficient in the roles that I have as a business consultant and as a father and as a husband and just do that well before I dilute myself. Because I spent enough years diluting myself into so many other paths, just really trying to stay focused on those. And then with, with a stronger core, dapple in other areas as it makes strategic sense, like this right here. And so I, I do think that when people are being honest with me, which most people are not 100% honest, there's a lot of wasted time, a lot of frenetic time, a lot of checking this, watching that, consuming this, reading this. And that's all of those packets of information that you could have used for rest or reflection or community building, relationship building, management time that instead was consumed with candy, right? Digital candy. And it's not making you healthy. It's not making you think better. And in the information age that we're in, maybe 20 years ago might not be the case, but now the issues that the leaders I work with is not, they don't have the information. They have way too much information as is. It's just, they're not implementing the right information right now. And one person said, Josh, why do you cost so much? And I said, it's not because of, you're not going to get me to, you know, expound the last 500 books I've read or podcasts or all I'm going to be doing during our sessions is really just hopefully telling you exactly what you need to hear, the one idea or the one question that you need to hear right now to help you fix your business. In this case, she, she has a nonprofit to expand. And that's where the value is me being able to discern what it is that you need to hear, what systems you have to work on. That That's the value not in volume of ideas, but on the idea and the way to implement the one idea that's going to take you the next step further. And so I think that there's, there's a, there's the lie of knowledge is power, but what did it say? I was just knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And it, ultimately we need people to apply exactly what they need in their circumstances and nothing more and nothing less. And I really try to help people move towards that direction. And I think there's so much that you do that probably helps people gain clarity and create. I heard someone, it was on one of the interviews I did, they said that most, all of us really in today's world need more white space. We need less stuff consuming us. And I believe, and I think you would agree, it's so we can hear the voice of God. <laughs> we need to be still. 
quiet, Sabbath, shalom, rest, whatever term we could use practical terms or spiritual terms, we need to be still and quiet. And I believe part of the value of systems and structure is it allows us to then be still and quiet so that we can hear from God. Now, the thing I love about what you're doing, I think I get to do a little bit of it too, is I think we're maybe one extra opportunity for people to hear that when we're in the room or sitting at the table or on the call with people. And I can tell just from your heart, your mindset, your approach that you bring that peace, that shalom into the room when you come there. And I think that's, I think that's valuable. With all of this, where would you want someone, if they wanted to connect with you, it sounds like they're not going to jump on social media necessarily and find you, but I know you've got to have some ways that people can get in touch with you, find you. And we've got the book that uh, we both have mentioned that I think is a valuable resource. What else do you want people to do if they need to connect with you? Yeah, I just tell them, go to WTSenterprises.com. So WTS stands for Work the System which is what everything I do is based on. And of course, you can get the summary of this book, Work the System. If you're a reader, get the book. If you want something faster, you can get the summary at my website, wtsenterprises.com. And then for those who want to help, then that's what I do, the coaching and consulting. And just to clarify, Sam wrote the book, mm-hmm. and but he does not do any of the consulting coaching. And you are the sole, I don't know if the right term is licensee or sole representative for this process. Is that correct? Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Yeah, definitely. So over the last 10 years, initially as an employee of Sam's, and then we branched out over the years to him being the figurehead and me doing more of the consulting. And now I do all the consulting. He's enjoying owning his business, but only having to work a couple hours a month Owning his business. So he's in his mid 70s. And so we still do events together. We still talk every week. He's been a great mentor to me and a business advisor. But yeah, I do all the consulting. Excellent. Thank you. We'll make sure we include where to find you and get the book and all down in the notes. Josh, we are seek, go create those three words. I'm going to let you pick one of those words over the other two as my last question. And just wh- why'd you pick the word seek, go, or create? Uh, yeah, the one that, that rings the bell to me would be create. And that's because I guess that's what I do. I help people create systems or create order out of chaos. And I think that instead of people living in maybe the chaotic or what we'll just call it the frustrating world that we live in because it's a broken world, that they should take part in creating something better. And the best way is to analyze those separate systems and make them better. Excellent. Josh. Thank you so much for this conversation. I've enjoyed it. And there were some directions we went in that I was not sure we would. I'm thankful that we did. I appreciate all that you had to share. And I know that people will understand and hopefully follow up on the value of systems, get the book, reach out to you. I'll also ask if someone's listening in, share this episode. I think there's been some value to just understanding the importance of structure, creating order out of chaos. And, and making it fit in this odd and chaotic world that we're in. So thanks again, Josh. We have new episodes every Monday. Until next time, continue being all that you were created to be. 